Welcome to the East Career Cast, brought to you from the East Section of Career Development. I'm Joe DeBose from the University of California, Davis. In this session, we are continuing a four-part series dedicated to our members in uniform in conjunction with the mentoring and military sections. Today, we're pleased to have Dr. James Dunn here with us to discuss, I'm leaving the military now, now what? Part one, choosing and getting the job. Dr. Dunn is the Chief of Trauma and Surgical Critical Care at Memorial University Medical Center in Savannah, Georgia. He retired from the U.S. Navy in 2012, having served as the Chief of Trauma and Surgical Critical Care at the National Naval Medical Center in Bethesda, Maryland, and the Chief Integrated Trauma Service at Walter Reed Army Medical Center and National Naval Medical Center. Dr. Dunn has been an active member of East since 2003 and currently serves on the Manuscript and Literature Review section. Dr. Dunn, thank you for joining us and uh, taking some time to sit down with us to talk about this topic. Uh, I really think a lot of our fellow, my fellow service members are going to find this very pertinent. I, I guess my first question for you would be, um, how and, and why did you transition out of the military in 2012? Well, retirement is always uh, a, a very personal decision on a lot of uh, service members' parts. Uh, and, and some people would say that you just kind of know uh, when the time is right, and that was very true for me. I had served for 22 years, uh, been on multiple deployments, and I just got to the point in my career where I felt that um, I, I, I felt that it was just time to to move on. I, I loved my service in the military; would never trade that for anything. Uh, but I thought it was just uh, it was just time to move on. And, and how far in advance did you begin looking for a new job? Did you have some kind of transition plan? Uh, well, yeah, actually I did, and, and you know, um, I talked to a lot of people about 18 months out um, about, um, you know, what are some of the pitfalls that they ran into and uh, and what advice did they have for me. Um, and I probably got the best advice from uh, from Don Jenkins and from Bill Schwab. Uh, Don, uh, Dr. Jenkins had suggested uh, that when most service members, when they leave the military, will end up seeking a second job within about three years coming out of the military. Uh, and that, and I didn't want to be that guy. Uh, I wanted to, um, you know, move into my next job and really kind of be there the rest of my life if possible. Uh, and so I, I really thought long and hard about what I wanted to do uh, and, you know, where I wanted to live and what I wanted to do. And then I had a, a key, and then Dr. Jenkins then put me on to Dr. Schwab, who has this whole program set out about, um, uh, interviewing his uh, his current trauma fellows and, in anticipation for them finding a job. And it was very, very insightful because he was asking me questions that I had no, uh, had not even thought about uh, but were pertinent if I was going to be looking for a job in the civilian sector. So I found that very, very helpful. So I started about 18 months out. Okay. And what were some of the key kind of components of that kind of plan that you, as, you, as you move forward that people should be thinking about when they're making that transition? Well, I think for me, one of the, one of the first mistakes I made was I, I started too soon. Um, I started looking for jobs uh, 18 months out of me leaving the military. And for the people that had jobs available, I wasn't available because I wasn't going to retire for 18 months. And then nobody was really looking that far in advance, like, yeah, we're looking for somebody in 18 months. Um, why don't, we'll go ahead and hire you. So in some degree, in some aspects, it was too soon to be looking. Uh, I put my name into a lot of, uh, with a lot of headhunters, 
and a lot of um, uh, organizations that really didn't bear much fruit, to be honest with you. Um, I think for me, uh, the most important aspect was networking. And, and when, do you, when, when is the ideal? If I'm getting out of the military today, what, what do you think is the ideal time to kind of start looking for that job? Well, I mean, if most people will tell you it takes about three months, to get, three to four months to get your licenses uh, and your credentials for whatever state that you're going to be practicing in. So uh, I would think somewhere between, you know, nine months, um, six to nine months, six months is really cutting it kind of close. Uh, more like nine months, I think nine months to a year out would probably be preferable. But it really kind of all depends on, on what type of job you're looking for, what area of the country you want to live, um, and, uh, you know, kind of what you see yourself doing when you get out of the military. Do you think that having a military career helps or hinders signing a civilian job? Uh, I definitely think the experience uh, that we in the military had or have currently uh, is something that most employers are looking for. There's no question about that. The leadership uh, that you come out of with the military, your experiences as being an independent provider at isolated duty stations uh, really bodes well. Uh, but I think we are um, at a disadvantage coming out of the military regarding the type of practice patterns, hospital-based, group practices, private practices. Um, I wasn't educated on that much at all, and I felt very disadvantaged um, in, in not only negotiating, but in just understanding how practices worked and the right questions to ask when, when applying for these jobs. And what are some of the big factors that one should consider when accepting that first job in your team? Well, it's, uh, you know, there's, there's too many accounts to be quite honest with you. Um, I think for me, the questions that I ask myself um, before even looking for jobs is what what did I want to do? Did I want to be a director? Did I want to be a trauma surgeon? Did I want to do primarily critical care? Did I want to do primarily trauma? Did I want to do trauma, EGS, and critical care? Uh, did I want to be at a hospital-based practice? Did I want to be in a group practice? Did I want to be at a level one, a level two facility? Did I want to work with residents? Did I want to have residents rotate through my hospital but not have an indigenous residency program? All those questions I had never even thought of before, but they were key. Once I came up with my answers to those questions, I could narrow down my choices and I could um, more strategically look for jobs. And, and you touched on this a little bit earlier, uh, but is there a lifespan for that first job, or can it, can conceivably that first job be your dream forever job? Uh, in other words, how long should you realistically kind of set an expectation that this first job is going to be for this period of time? Well, I think that's that's kind of an individual decision. I uh, got out of the military and uh, held a job for two years and then transitioned into my current job, um, and there were a lot of reasons for that. But um, I think if you if you do your homework and you really understand what you're getting yourself into, I think that could be your, your lifelong job. I think it, especially in academics, though, most people tend to move around. At least that's what I've noticed um, in my short time uh, in the civilian world, um, uh, especially in the academics. People in private practice or people that uh, are not in academic positions, they tend to be 
um, in one place for a little bit longer. Um, but I think it really comes down to if you do your homework right, I think you may be able to to, um, to stay at that job for a considerable amount of time. But once again, it's really um, it's really individualized. I guess your point's well taken. Being a, in academia, it's a little bit like being in the military, getting redeployed frequently uh, or PCSing several times. Speaking of, speaking of PCSing and other acronyms that we utilize frequently in the military, I know one of my big questions is, you know, is, is I transition out of the military into a civilian world and I'm shopping a, a CV. I mean, we the acronyms that roll off our tongues, uh, JTS, OIF, OEF, um, how do we civilianize and translate all that into something that somebody on the civilian side can understand in the CV? Are there resources for doing that, or do you have any tips for that? Um, no, it was really by trial and error for myself. Uh, you know, my first interview, uh, I rolled off all those acronyms, and the chief of surgery kind of looked at me like I had three heads. Uh, and then I began to try to, as I did more and more interviews, I began to figure out kind of to translate those terms, like the Joint Trauma Theater System. That's just a trauma system. You know, the civilian world understands trauma systems. They don't understand the Joint Trauma Theater Network or the Joint Trauma Theater System or, you know, those type of things. And I think that helped a little bit. Um, If you can repackage those experiences into civilian terms. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, along the same lines, another thing that doesn't translate as well is, is you know, kind of quantifying productivity. Um, certainly in the civilian sec- uh, sector, you know, RVUs are king in many settings. Um, but we often don't use them as, as rigorously in the military. Some, some of that's facility dependent. But how do we, you know, translate our present practices and how we use RVUs in the military into something we can describe to our civilian counterparts when we're interviewing? Um in the interviewing process, I think the, the transition outside of the interview process, I think we are are, are uh, well prepared for. Um, most of the people coming out of the military, if not all the people coming out of the military, are very, very hard workers. They're not looking for a, cult, a, a cush lifestyle. Um, so and I think that that'll translate well uh, into the civilian world. But as far as how do we sell the RVU issue. Um, I didn't really understand the RVU issue. I knew it existed, but I, I didn't know how many cases would I have to do to be able to make so many RVUs based on my salary. Um, I knew kind of what my work schedule would be, and the RVUs kind of follow the work schedule. Um, the current job I'm in right now is a hospital-based practice, um, so I don't have to I don't have to go out and find business. Business comes through the front door, and I deal with it. So um, in that regard, the RVUs don't really, um, I mean, they are important, but I can't generate more RVUs. I can only generate the RVUs that come through the front door. So for us, uh, it's it's pretty straightforward. Sure. I don't know if I answered your question or not. No, I, th- I think that's a reasonable thing. It's certainly something we kind of struggle with in that transition out of the military into the different types. Of, and there's different types of practice environments where RVUs are more important in some sure. settings and others, even on the civilian side. Um, any advice on navigating the interview process? Any questions uh, when it's my turn I should make sure to ask? Well, I think, I mean, I was I felt very unprepared going into negotiations um, with people. And, uh, and, you know, I remember the first negotiation I had, 
um, I made uh, an offer, and the chief of surgery jumped at it and said, yep, that's fine, you know, uh, I'll, I'll write up a contract. And I was like, I walked out of that saying, boy, I, I undersold myself big time, <laughs> you know, big time. But uh, but I had no, you know, no reference, no concept. I tried to figure out what a – I tried to read all the articles about what a trauma, trauma surgeon is worth. But and you know looked at MGMH and uh, and uh, Sullivan Cotter and those type of things. But um, each place is very very different. The culture is very different. Um, you know depending on wh- what part of the country you you choose to live in, um, all those things factor in. But um, I, I think the once the best advice I could give someone from a negotiating standpoint is talk to as many people as possible um, and get as many different tips as you can. Because you can never uh, be over prepared for those type of things. Um, try to represent re- represent yourself accurately. Be confident in your skills and your abilities, uh, and and never take the first offer. That's for sure. <laughs> what uh, what was what was the most surprising and difficult difficult aspects of your transition from military to civilian? I think for me it was the business side of medicine. Uh, the military was very good at letting us be doctors letting us take care of patients the way we wanted to take care of patients and to do the right thing for the patient and the families. Um, I'm, I'm definitely neck deep now into the business side of medicine where hospital length of stay and, and budgets uh, uh, occupy most of my day. Um, and, you know, the right thing of the patient is a nebulous term. Uh, you've got to have the resources to be able to provide that right thing for the patient. So I think the business side of medicine, I think, caught me off a, or caught me a little bit off guard. I knew it was going to be different than the military, but I don't think I realized just how different it was going to be. Yeah, different, very different. Um, so here's a question. I know a lot of our military listeners may be there for your commitments and they go off and stay in practice, but there are you know, certainly a group of us that uh, – and you are an example. You you served twenty plus years in the military. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're getting close to that twenty year time frame, I'm at year fifteen to eighteen. What factors should I consider in deciding whether I should find start looking for civilian jobs or hang around for those extra couple of years and draw the pension and and the benefits that come with the twenty years of active duty service? Well, I haven't been on the other side of it. I would probably suggest trying to hang on if you can. Um, because the you know the benefits and the uh, and the health care um, and all those issues are, are you know are pretty significant are pretty darn significant. Um, but you know the bottom line comes down to are you happy with what you're doing? If you're miserable, it doesn't make any sense to stay in. You know, um, uh, for me it was it was just an obvious. Uh, decision. Um, it was it was a very easy decision for me um, about timing and getting out. But if you're at the fifth, if you're if you're at the 18 year mark, uh, you know, even if you are a little miserable, I would suggest trying to hang on uh, for those 20 years. To be honest with you, yeah. you put 18 years of your life into this into that organization, um, and you're going to walk away with nothing. Um, now you can't live on the retirement, uh, you know, but it definitely helps, and certainly the health care helps dramatically. Uh, and then there's VA benefits as well uh, that will both, you know, that could be uh, very advantageous uh, as we all begin to get older. Yeah. 
Well, taking the uh, kind of in closing here, taking the 30,000-foot view, what's the main message or piece of advice that you would like to give to the military members in our audience today about how to choose the right civilian job? Oh, boy. Um, I would say uh, begin thinking now on on where you see yourself in five years after you get out of the military um, and then choose a job that would allow you to to get to that point in five years. I think we all of us, me included, kind of looked at where I was now and what would be the easiest transition. What what am I doing now, and where can I find that type of a job in the civilian world? And I didn't look far enough in in advance to kind of anticipate where I would be growing as a surgeon or as a uh, you know an academic surgeon. Um, and that, I think, sometimes leads us to get a, you know, seek another job. So I think that would be one of my, my biggest recommendations. Great. Well, I think that about wraps up our time. On behalf of the East Section of Career Development, I'd like to thank you, Dr. Dunn, for taking the time to speak with us today. Uh, again, I'm Joe DeBose, and, and I hope you enjoyed the program for the listeners. Uh, when you do find a moment of time, please visit the East website at www.east.org, that's east.org, for more East Careercasts and other valuable information. Thank you. Dr. Dunn, thank you so much. This was perfect. Oh, good. I'm glad. Um, yeah, no, this is great. And one other question I have for you is, you know, how did you prioritize? You mentioned earlier on about location. So mm-hmm. how much did location come into play for you? You know, you mentioned that you wanted to be somewhere for a long period of time. So in terms of job and the details and call schedule versus a city, you know, where you live and potentially move a family or raise a family, you know, how did all that kind of come together for you? Well, I think I got the the best advice I got from Tom Scalia was, uh, who was my uh, fellowship program director, was the first thing and the first thing you have to decide in looking for a job is where do you want to live uh and that's the first decision you have to come to and for me it was easy uh, the wife my wife wanted to move to the southeast so we were moving to the southeast <laughs> um but we uh, we had talked about that a long time and that's kind of the area of the country that we wanted to live the problem with the southeast is there's not a lot of jobs in the southeast so that was challenging but i think that for me uh, that was the first decision I had to make, and then everything else kind of followed that. Gotcha. And then another question for you, you mentioned is you know, trying to find something that suits what you've been doing, but also looking forward for your future. So did you, in terms of community versus academic, do you think one is an easier transition versus another coming from a military setting? Well, I, I tried to be as academic as I could in the military, uh, and the military certainly offered me a lot of opportunities to do that. So I was clearly looking for an academic position, um, though there are some people in the military that felt more comfortable in a private practice mode or in a community setting. So it really kind of depends on kind of where your leanings are. If you're leaning towards academics, then I would say I would suggest that you move in that direction, assuming that you have the CB to back it up. Gotcha. And I guess the other thing I did want to ask you, you touched on was about headhunters and how you didn't really find them that beneficial to you. And you mentioned networking. So how does East or how did East play a role then in your networking? 
Oh, it was huge. It was absolutely huge because uh, that's our professional society. Um, so, uh, you know, East brands itself as, a, you know, an organization for the young trauma surgeons, but there's a lot of wisdom and a lot of expertise uh, in some of the senior members, and I really leaned a, a lot on those guys and, and some of my AAST uh, connections as well, uh, but uh, primarily in East. And so that was that played a very important part. Well, great. Well, thank you again so much, Joe. Do you want, have any other questions or anything else you want to ask Dr. Dunn about? No, I I I, I think uh, I, I'm certainly going to be calling him up. I, Jim, I have I'm going to be in 21 years before I can get out, so I got another six. I'll pick your brain again. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> well, yeah, look me up, Joe. I'll I can I, I know I guess, where to find you. I, I, I didn't necessarily do things the right way, but I can certainly tell you all the mistakes I made. Well, that's the beauty of letting you guys go first and figure all this out. Now, <laughs> now the landlines are. 